You're listening to the podcast Bible Companion series by author P.H. Thompson. This is a chronological Bible study going chapter by chapter, discovering Christ in all of Scripture. This is Genesis chapter 41, verses 1 through 7, Pharaoh's Troubling Dreams. First time reference, linking back to chapter 40. Joseph had correctly interpreted the dreams of both royal prisoners and had asked the chief butler, cupbearer, to appeal to Pharaoh on his behalf to get him out of prison. But he forgot all about him, and Joseph was left there for another two years. When you consider the sovereignty of God, you may wonder why God didn't give Pharaoh this dream two years earlier, or bring the famine to Egypt then, so that Joseph didn't have to be imprisoned for another two full years. So what purpose could this delay have served? First of all, if we recall the events of chapter 38 with Judah and Tamar, those were yet to happen and necessary in order to bring about the change in Judah's character, essential for his later appeal. Also, if Pharaoh hadn't heard Joseph's case back then and released him, he may have found work elsewhere and would not have been as easy to find when Pharaoh needed him urgently. Or he may have found a way to return to Canaan and would not have had such an opportunity to save his family. Also, perhaps Joseph still needed some time in prison to humble him, and help him to see that he was proud of his father's special attention, and rubbed it into his brothers by boasting about his dreams and wearing the special coat. He needed to serve the prisoners before he could serve Pharaoh and the people of Egypt. This is just speculation, since we're not told. But now... God gives a prophetic dream to Pharaoh. It disturbs him so much that it awakens him in the night. Then when he goes back to sleep, he has another similar disturbing dream. Verse 8. No explanation. When he wakes up, he summons all of his advisors, priests, magicians, and dream experts, but none of them are able to make sense of this dream. They don't even attempt an explanation. There is a similar situation in Daniel 2, 1 and 2 with Nebuchadnezzar. So this sets the stage for Joseph to appear in Egyptian history. Verses 9 to 13, the chief butler's memory is prompted. Standing next to Pharaoh in his official role as the chief butler, he overhears Pharaoh's predicament and can relate. He recalls his own disturbing dream two years earlier. He finally speaks up. Today I am reminded of my shortcomings. Pharaoh was once angry with his servants, and he imprisoned me and the chief baker in the house of the captain of the guard. Each of us had a dream the same night, and each dream had a meaning of its own. Now a young Hebrew was there with us, a servant of the captain of the guard. We told him our dreams, and he interpreted them for us, giving each man the interpretation of his dream and things turned out exactly as he interpreted them to us. I was restored to my position, and the other man was impaled. He doesn't admit it was two years earlier, but only says it happened once upon a time. Verses 14 through 16, Joseph summoned from prison. Seizing on this hopeful news, Pharaoh immediately sends for Joseph to be brought to him quickly from the dungeon. This is when we see it was good he was still there. His beard would have grown thick, so they shaved him, as the Egyptians did, and changed his clothes to make him presentable, and brought him before Pharaoh. Pharaoh rushes to tell Joseph his predicament and his hope that Joseph can help him. 
I had a dream and no one can interpret it. But I have heard it said of you that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. Joseph rightly acknowledges that the power to interpret dreams is a gift of God and not from any innate ability. He was very self-deprecating at a time when he could have tried to make himself look good in front of Pharaoh. He remembered from the two royal prisoners how disturbing a dream could be if you didn't understand it, and he desired for God to give Pharaoh an explanation that would set his mind at ease. I cannot do it, Joseph replied to Pharaoh, but God will give Pharaoh the answer he desires. Wisdom comes from the Spirit of God. Psalm 25:14 says, The Lord confides in those who fear him. He makes his covenant known to them. Verses 17 to 24, Pharaoh's Dreams In my dream, I was standing on the bank of the Nile, when out of the river there came up seven cows, fat and sleek, and they grazed among the reeds. After them, seven other cows came up, scrawny and very ugly and lean. I have never seen such ugly cows in all the land of Egypt. The lean, ugly cows ate up the seven fat cows that came up first. But even after they ate them, no one could tell that they had done so. They looked just as ugly as before. Then I woke up. And in my dream I saw seven heads of grain, full and good, growing on a single stalk. After them, seven other heads sprouted, withered and thin and scorched by the east wind. The thin heads of grain swallowed up the seven good heads. I told this to my magicians, but none of them could explain it to me. His problem wasn't merely two bizarre dreams, but that he knew there must be some significance to them, yet no one could help him make sense of them. Verses 25 to 32, Joseph interprets Pharaoh's dreams. As before, the interpretation comes to Joseph immediately. He recognizes that they are similar dreams and repeated to confirm they are true. He also recognizes that this is God's way of revealing something that is about to happen. First he explains what the numbers, animals, and grain represent. Then Joseph said to Pharaoh, The dreams of Pharaoh are one and the same. God has revealed to Pharaoh what he is about to do. The seven good cows are seven years, and the seven good heads of grain are seven years. It is one and the same dream. The seven lean, ugly cows that came up afterward are seven years, and so are the seven worthless heads of grain scorched by the east wind. They are seven years of famine. Then he explains their significance. It is just as I said to Pharaoh. God has shown Pharaoh what he is about to do. Seven years of great abundance are coming throughout the land of Egypt, but seven years of famine will follow them. Then all the abundance in Egypt will be forgotten and the famine will ravage the land. The abundance in the land will not be remembered because the famine that follows it will be so severe. The reason the dream was given to Pharaoh in two forms is that the matter has been firmly decided by God, and God will do it soon. Joseph kept the focus on God's sovereignty in bringing the years of plenty and famine, and in graciously warning Pharaoh about them in advance. Four times Joseph has pointed Pharaoh back to God. This could have been seen by Pharaoh as a challenge, since he was considered a god. Verses 33-36, to 36, Wise Counsel Then, as if he'd, he'd had weeks to consider it, 
God also gives Joseph a plan to suggest to Pharaoh to mitigate the ravenous effects of the coming famine. This is also a gift of God, as the interpretation had been. Likewise, gospel warnings should always be followed by good counsel. There should be a response. In his years as chief steward for Potiphar and his time as under warden in the prison, Joseph has learned how to manage affairs. He doesn't hesitate to share the plan with Pharaoh. And now, let Pharaoh look for a discerning and wise man and put him in charge of the land of Egypt. And this was also a bold thing to say because Pharaoh himself was in charge of the land of Egypt. But he doesn't get offended. Let Pharaoh appoint commissioners over the land to take a fifth of the harvest of Egypt during the seven years of abundance. Joseph recognized that the person in charge would need a team to execute such an undertaking. He was basically instituting a tax of 20% of the crops. This wouldn't be much of a hardship on the people since the first seven years would have bumper crops. They should collect all the food of these good years that are coming and store up the grain under the authority of Pharaoh to be kept in the cities for food. He suggested collection of the food to be administered under federal authority and kept in central locations for ease of access by the people. Then the reason. This food should be held in reserve for the country to be used during the seven years of famine that will come upon Egypt so that the country may not be ruined by the famine. None of it should be eaten during the seven years of plenty but kept in reserve for the famine so that the people would not die and the country could recover. For those who only ever see tragedy and blame God for it, look and see how kind he is to provide seven years of plenty first to offset the hardship and then to warn that it is coming. If they will just believe the warning and follow the advice, the effects will be mitigated. God did not need to be so gracious to the world, yet ultimately this was to protect and preserve one particular family. Verses 37 to 38, You're the Man. Pharaoh, having heard the interpretation and the plan, recognizes in it the ring of truth. He looks around at his officials in wonder, who also agree that this is good advice. So Pharaoh asked them, Can we find anyone like this man, one in whom is the Spirit of God? Pharaoh recognized that the person Joseph had just described was himself, and that this was because he had the Spirit of God in him. The same would be said of Daniel by pagan kings and queens. So Pharaoh acknowledged that what Joseph had claimed was true, that God revealed the interpretation of the dream to him. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Since God has made all this known to you, there is no one so discerning and wise as you. Verses 40 to 41 From Prison to Palace, Joseph's Promotion Pharaoh could have just said, Thank you very much, and sent him back to prison. But instead, in a shocking display of deference, Pharaoh hands over almost absolute power to this outsider, who only that morning had been a prisoner in a dungeon. You shall be in charge of my palace, and all my people are to submit to your orders. Only with respect to the throne will I be greater than you. Joseph was now second to Pharaoh, a vice-regent. This official title was a vizier, prime minister, or governor. The only one with more power than he in the whole country was the Pharaoh himself. 
This was a true rags-to-riches story. Joseph's fortunes have been restored like Cinderella. In case anyone thought his power was limited to just the palace, he makes it official. I hereby put you in charge of the whole land of Egypt. God is glorified when he exalts his humble servants. In Potiphar's house, Joseph had only Potiphar above him. In the prison, he had only the warden above him. And in the reign of Egypt, he had only Pharaoh above him. Verses 42 to 45, the benefits of leadership. Pharaoh sets Joseph apart in Egypt by bestowing on him the emblems of office and rewards of clothing, jewelry, and status that accompanied his new rank. And we see something similar given to Daniel and Mordecai. Pharaoh removes his signet ring from his finger and transfers it to Joseph, and this authorized him to transact affairs of state on behalf of Pharaoh. It was the equivalent of being given Pharaoh's signature, and we see this again in Esther. So then he clothed Joseph in robes of fine linen and put a, a gold chain around his neck. I'm sure he would have recalled how his father gifted him with his ornate robe, which indicated his special honor and status. The position also came with a vehicle, a chariot for the second in command to ride in. This would have been ornate and recognizable as a royal conveyance. They had someone go ahead and shout out, Make way! or Bow the knee! This way all who saw him pass learned he was an important person. Several times we are told Joseph was in charge of the whole land of Egypt. He also gave Joseph an Egyptian name, Zaphanath Paniah, which may mean either God speaks and he lives, or the revealer of secrets, savior of the world, or nourisher of the two lands. We're not sure. Then he was given a wife. He had no say in this. Her name was Azanath, and she was the daughter of a priest. He began right away surveying their land, and this would have been his first chance to see all of Egypt. Verses 46 to 49, Joseph begins his work. We're told Joseph is now 30 years old. It's estimated the year was 1884 BC. He arrived in Egypt at the age of 17, so he's been here for 13 years so far. There will be another seven years of plenty, and his family arrives two years into the famine, so they are not reunited for 22 years. And just as Joseph said, the seven years of abundance begin, in which there are bumper crops. He begins collecting the food and storing it in cities, as he had suggested to Pharaoh. Each city stored the food from the fields surrounding it. The amount was so incalculable that the Egyptians, who were known for keeping meticulous records, stopped recording. It's described as the sand of the sea, which no one would even consider counting. Verses 50 to 52, Personal Blessings. Although he probably never envisioned it while he was imprisoned, Joseph was now a married man. During those seven years of plenty, he and Asenath had two sons. In Egyptian culture, the wife usually named the children, probably a reward for pregnancy, labor, and delivery. And we saw this also in his own family with the baby wars between Leah and Rachel in chapters 29 and 30. But this is a hint that perhaps Asenath had come to believe in Joseph's God, since we're told Joseph named both his sons with Hebrew 
rather than Egyptian names. And in, and in his reasons for giving them these names, he mentions how God has helped him. These names revealed that God was still central in his thinking. Years of suffering, separation from his family, power and prosperity and exposure to a pagan culture hadn't influenced Joseph negatively. The first son was named Manasseh, which means making forgetful, because he said, it is because God has made me forget all my trouble and all my father's household. He was starting to feel some measure of happiness in his new homeland. He still referred to his old family as troublesome. The second son he named Ephraim, which meant fruitful. He said, it is because God has made me fruitful in the land of my suffering. He was not just getting by, but by the time his second son was born, he felt useful. Verses 53 to 57, the famine begins. Just as God had revealed through Joseph, the seven years of abundance came to an end. Whatever prosperity we may have, we should be aware it will end. If there were any doubters in Egypt before this, this famine, arriving just when it did, after seven years of plenty, would have made them believers. The famine was widespread throughout the known world, but because of God's warning and Joseph's management, there was food in the whole land of Egypt. The Egyptians began to feel the effects of the famine and they cry out to Pharaoh for food. He redirects them, go to Joseph and do what he tells you. It's interesting that he reverts back to the name Joseph. Joseph faithfully opens the storehouses and sells grain to the inhabitants. The famine becomes severe everywhere, and they hear there is grain in Egypt. So the world comes to their door, and Joseph has more than enough to share. Remember the Abrahamic covenant that his family would be blessed and be a blessing to all nations? Well, this is the beginning of the second part of that promise. God will bless the nations by blessing Joseph. The chapter began with Joseph in prison, seemingly forgotten. It ended with him in a palace, right-hand man to the most powerful king in the world. Scarlet threads. So what scarlet threads or hints of Jesus Christ or application to the gospel do we find in this chapter? Both were abandoned. Joseph, after correctly interpreting uh, the dream, was still imprisoned two more years. Jesus was abandoned by the disciples at the cross. Both Joseph and Jesus began their life's work at the age of 30. Joseph was taken from the dungeon, a place of death, and raised by the king to a place of glory. Jesus was raised from the grave and seated at the right hand of God in the heavenly places. Joseph was regarded as a great counselor and prophet. Jesus was a wonderful counselor and prophet. Joseph acknowledged that wisdom was with God. Jesus is our wisdom. Both were exalted by God to worldwide dominion and thus were instruments of saving Gentiles and Jews. Joseph was given a new name. Jesus will be given a new name that he alone will know. Joseph's new name meant Savior of the world. Jesus is the Savior of the world. He was given a Gentile bride. Jesus' bride is the church, which includes many Gentiles. Joseph was given authority over the whole land. Jesus has authority in heaven and earth. 
both sat at the right hand of the most powerful ruler when exalted. All people were commanded to bow before him. All will bow before Jesus. The whole world had to get their bread from Joseph. There was no other way to be saved. Jesus is the bread of life. There is no other name that get, that saves. It was said of Joseph, do whatever he tells you. It was also said of Jesus, do whatever he tells you. Both saved Jews and Gentiles. Joseph's grain had to be purchased, but salvation is free. Joseph's grain had to be obtained at certain times and after a long journey. Grace is available everywhere and instantaneously. It required faith in Joseph's word that a famine was coming, so they'd store up grain during the bountiful years. We need to believe what Jesus has said about a coming judgment and flee to him for deliverance. You've been listening to the podcast Bible Companion series by author P.H. Thompson. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe and comment. Continue listening for Genesis chapter 42. May God bless the study of his word.